You are listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Today, I have a very special guest, uh, a Mr. Michael Sahota. He's a publisher, a writer of a new book, Leading Beyond Change. You can kind of see it in the background there. We're going to spend some time talking about that. And Michael has an interesting background that I'll let him share with you. So let me just say, uh, Michael, welcome. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure being here. And where are you calling in from? I'm calling in from uh, Toronto, Canada. Oh, great. And cold this time of year up there, right? It is getting cold this time of year. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Well, let's, uh, let's first do a quick kind of overview of what the book is going to be about. And then we'll kind of backfill with the story on, on how you got to this, right? So yeah, give us the elevator pitch on the book. Um, well, I think, I think you stole the title already. It, it, it's really just common sense. Uh, okay. So I, 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 which is, which is, you know, as we know, it's, it's not conventional, right? It, it's, you know, it's there, but it's, it's sometimes hard to see. So really what this book is doing is really giving people a chance to see how the patterns that we have now for leadership, for how we approach change, for how we run our organizations are really bankrupt and really creating a lot of damage and not really the outcomes we want. And we just got us stuck here this way because we did, but there are different ways of us to function in all these dimensions that are just common sense to us that, that will allow us to actually create the success for ourselves, success for the people around us, successful change, the success, successful organizations. Uh, and so, yeah, that's what it is for us. That's why our company's called Shift 314. It's like we're talking about 314's homage to Pi, these universal principles, not of mathematics, but about how do we just need to show up to create good results? I like that. And uh, I know in my own coaching, what I'll talk to people about is, is the fundamental question, how do you want to show up? And it's not just about how do you show up, but um, more importantly, how do you want to show up? And, you know, if there's feedback you've been given about the ineffective if in excuse me ineffectiveness of your your behaviors then you've got to work to show up differently and yeah i, I think that's exactly it. it's really about the choice like what do people want to create for themselves and for others and uh and that that choice is really really important because and i i think a lot of people are just making the choice to have the same old same old and it actually Leadership actually means leading into a new place. It means actually um, creating creating that shift and the choice to lead oneself, this choice to evolve oneself, is, is for us really the core of what this whole whole journey towards unlocking ourselves and unlocking others is all about. Yeah, you know, said another way, there's a popular phrase that I run into: "What got you here won't get you there." <laughs> Do you see that in uh, in your work? Oh yeah, yeah. We actually have a, a drawing for really illustrate that is that you know everyone who's listening to this has achieved a certain level of success, and it is a fact that what got you here will not most likely get you where you want to go, right? And you can just look at it like if I keep on going the way I'm going now, am I going to create the outcomes that I want to create? Right. And if you look around you at you know what's happening with the people, what's happening in the organization, you might be like, wait, this is where I am now. I'm seeing what I'm creating and do I want this or do I want something different? Let's go back to that <clears throat> notion of the common sense issue. The one reason I've, I've kind of gravitated that way is that um, 
I look around me and I see ever-growing complexities in business. And no doubt there are certain things that drive that. I mean, obviously, the evolution of technology and such will do that. However, I question the need for leaders to make their communication complex. And uh, that's why I kind of go straight to the common sense idea. You know, sometimes you don't have to explain a, a mission or a um, direction with high degrees of complexity. You just got to tell them we're leaving point A and we're going to point B. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and I, I think that's, and I think that's the, the kind of the essence of, 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 uh, you know, I, I sometimes say this, um, my, my wife and co-founder get, you know, gets mad when I say it, but, but I'm lazy. Like, <laughs> like I try to, I try to use the least, least effort possible to achieve the outcome. And so when we have simplicity in our models, simplicity in our actions, and, and just that level of clarity, whether you call it common sense or what we're calling it, that actually leads to this ability to create, um, really just use whatever energy for change there is in a much more effective way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell us uh, a little bit more about your background. How did you get here and, and get uh, locked in on, on these ideas? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I originally, you know, my background is in, I was trained as an engineer. I went, had the master's in computer science, did half a PhD in artificial intelligence robotics. I've got published papers in the field and probably the best way to describe me is, is a brilliant jerk. <laughs> okay. Like really absolutely intelligent can understand everything. But wow, totally lacking in the human characteristics needed to function together with other human beings on planet Earth. Uh, and so what I, I mean, so, but, but I'm brilliant and I know exactly how to get things done and I'm motivated and I'm focused on the success. But, I, you know, I, so I'd build some success, but then I'd, I'd leave a scorched trail, right? And that's really the, the history of my life is leaving a scorched trail until I wake up and I'm going, wait a second, this is not working. The, my narrow, narrow definition of what I think success is, is not working. It's like, it's leaving, creating too much damage. And so at the wake up moment where uh, I realized that I was the problem, I was the problem and I was the solution. And, and I think that's the core of our work. And so anyway, so fast forward, you know, you know, a decade later that instead of being, you know, that problematic person on the team, the problematic leader, I'm the person helping leaders around the globe, training them, mentoring them to, so they can show up as brilliant leaders to create other leaders around them. Right. So, so, so what had to happen, right? This is huge, huge inner shift. And what I realized is that we are the limit. How and we, we don't understand that. Like when I say this to people, they might go, well, I, I don't really get it. Like, but what you see around you as a leader, all the low levels of engagement, the people not showing up, people not taking responsibility, the kind of the missed messages, the kind of the messes that are in your organization, they're a reflection of you, of your leadership, your inner state. When you as a leader are in, internally coherent, when you as a leader have high psychological safety, when you as a leader are treating people really, really well, you're going to see that around you. You're going to see a rapidly different thing. But we don't realize, this is the problem, is we don't realize that we are the problem. Yeah. 
Well, a couple of things come to my mind out of, out of what you've described there. Number one, uh, kudos to you for having that deep self-reflection and, and calling it, calling that shot saying you're, you are the problem and, and you can be the solution. That's a, uh, that's a, that's a huge leap. And I mean, no disrespect or all, but you, you know, the 12 step program says you got to admit there's a problem. <laughs> that's that's step number one, right? Well, and, well, well, yeah, because they're, they're, we're talking about whether it's in business or in our personal lives, we're talking about rewiring deeply conditioned behavioral programming that happened right. that we didn't choose. We just ended up that way, right? So whether it's 12 steps or something else, it's like we're talking about how do we recondition ourselves as human beings? Right, right. And I, I was meeting with a colleague of mine a, a couple of weeks ago, and, and we landed on the idea that the real core of this thing we're talking about is the possibility for an individual to become the best boss ever. Um, you hear the phrase, people join companies, but they quit bosses. And I think that's really a, a systemic plague that we've got. I mean, the whole world's in some kind of pandemic lockdown because of COVID. But I think businesses are shifting. Pe people are all of a sudden appalled by the so-called great resignation that's going on. But I'm not convinced it's related to anything to do with COVID. I think it's the ultimate you know, buildup of the tension of being tired of bad bosses. Uh, yes, <laughs> uh, that's a really, really rich area. Oh my gosh, we can go in so many directions. Uh, <laughs> do you want to? Do you want to? I, I can. I can. <laughs> so, so there, there. I'll give you a few topics. So, one is um, the culture erosion due to COVID and what's happening. Yep. The whole dilemma of returning to work and what's going on with that, and how that's a symptom of leadership and culture. We could talk about how um, it actually is the leaders that are actually creating the culture. And the the work environment. So those are kind of three different directions that are kind of jumping up to me to go in. What, what feels right for you? Oh, I agree. Well, let's talk about that um, culture clash that that's being highlighted and and the leaders. I, I guess in my mind and, and kind of reflecting on on my own engagements of late, talking to different business leaders. What has emerged is the truth that there are leaders out there that still have this old command and control mindset. I got to have my people here. They got to be now. We stop this virtual stuff. We all have to get back. And yeah. Well, yes. Go ahead. That that alone is a culture. So, yeah. So I, I would argue that um, ultimately the root of all the challenges we experience from in workplaces are due to what we can call the command and control habit. All right. And, you know, to talk about the 12 step program, we all as human beings are, are somewhere on our recovery program from kicking the command and control habit, this addiction we have to command and control to being the smartest person in the room, to talk more than we listen to, to we can list out all the behaviors that come from this habit, but this is really the addictive pattern directly related to the human ego that's at the core of what drives the level of performance, either low performance because we have people who are deeply in the habit or better levels of performance because we've managed to kick it a bit or these elite high-performing organizations 
that have extraordinary bosses that creating highly engaged, highly motivated work people that allow the organization to adapt and pivot in these dramatically changing times. That the state of evolution of the leader, their ability to navigate beyond this command and control habit, is the limiting factor. Right, <clears throat> right, and. Some would argue it's a direct function of the leader's own emotional intelligence. Um, I, as much as I embrace and endorse the notion of talking about emotional intelligence, I, I think it is a bigger issue than just that. I, I think it is a conditioned mindset, and and it does get into some deep, I think, psycho-emotional wiring uh, that that drives that need to be a certain way. And as I said earlier, show up in the moment a certain way. Yeah. So uh, it's interesting you say that. I think, I think it's part of the puzzle, but I, I think <laughs> so it's part of the puzzle. The other part is our, our level of inner psychological safety, our level of inner stability. That would be another dimension. Another dimension would be our destructive behavior patterns and where we are in terms of reducing them, mastering them, and so on. You know, kicking the command of control habit is one one theme and subsidiary of that. Right. Um, and and I'd even say what people are talking about with emotional challenge was a hot topic. We actually have another book, Emotional Science, which actually tells people how their emotional system is actually working. Until really, most people have a very low level of emotional literacy. And if we think about it, our emotions drive everything we do. So until we actually have some ability to, to, to surf and navigate our emotions, because they can't be controlled, that's a, a myth. But until we can actually have some way to surf and understand what's happening that's being generated within our system and, and come to some level of ability to navigate that, we're not going to be able to show up as a very effective leader. Right, right. I so it's one important dimension, but it's, it's not the whole picture. Right, right. So tell me a little bit more about what you've tried to address in the book uh, about leading beyond change. What's, what's the real essence of the message there? So, so the real idea is that there are, there are consistent patterns for low workplace success, low workplace performance, which center around disengaged human beings that are caused by leaders that are oppressing them at a very, very core, right? And most leaders are not aware they're, they're doing this. I mean, if we think about um, the standard in our, our business world, it's a master's of business administration. <laughs> it's, yeah, that's the, the gold standard, which is how we have these traditional organizations that are built around this Tayloristic command and control pattern, where the assumption is that workers have no brains. That's really the, the default mechanism in our society. You know, we experience command and control with our parents telling us what to do. So we're all deeply immersed in this pattern. So we're trying to wake up people to say, well, wait a second, this pattern, this is what this pattern looks like. Yes, it's operating here. Yes, it's operating in me as a leader. Yes, it's operating in my organization. Yes, it's creating low performance. That's kind of this one awareness. And then on the other side of the spectrum is what we call evolutionary organization, moving from traditional, which is very low performance, to evolutionary, ones where um, people are evolving. Ones where it's about how do we at every moment create a base where people are engaged and motivated? How do we have a culture system that supports that? How do we approach change in ways that unlock people and, and have them be more motivated rather than disempowering, disengaging as an act of creating a transformation program or something like that? How do we start to parse reality differently? How do we actually be in a place where we're looking at the real problems so we can get to root cause? So that what we have is this this mapping of a traditional world to a more evolved world, a more uh, high-performance world. 
and help people. And this is what the book takes you through is walking through all these different layers of organizational functioning and different business patterns, different business patterns. I'll give you some example from like an example of kind of an interim pattern is build on people's strengths, right? And for some people, that's the mantra, but that's not going to get you high performance. It's going to get you some improvement, but the, the higher performance version of that is focus on people's evolution. So they're not just working through focusing on their strengths. They're working through their challenge areas, the things that where they're sabotaging their own performance. When you get rid of those, their performance is going to shoot up. So it's this, this moving beyond, um, moving out of the, not just the traditional, but what we often think are progressive ways of working, even to more, even more advanced ones. Mm. That's the journey. I like that. Yeah. You've uh, mentioned psychological safety a couple of times, uh, both internally and organizationally. Um, talk to me a little more about your, your views on that. Yeah, so, so I guess the first thing I'll say is that psychological safety is a spectrum. And what we understand is a very high level psychological safety is the absence of fear. Now, it gets very, very interesting, right? So we can think of environments that are more traditional, where people don't feel safe, they won't speak up, they won't ask for help, and so on. This is going to lead to low performance. Or very safe environments where people are going, yeah, I'm struggling with this. Can someone help me? And people help each other, and they admit their challenges. And so then you, then you can work around their challenges because people are talking about what's really going on. And like it, it's a very and, and, I, and if I'm safe, and let's go to the human physiology, we all have a fight or flight system as mammals. When we're not feeling safe, the blood supply to our frontal cortex actually gets reduced and shut off. That's what we call job stress, you know, worrying about a project, worrying about a deadline, pressure. That means there's lower psychological safety, which means the blood supply to the frontal cortex is getting reduced. And, and so why is that important? It means all these intelligent people you've hired all these skilled people, all these people of all this knowledge and wisdom, they're not able to use their full intelligence. So there's a shocking level of human waste going on in most organizations. And it's not just destructive for human beings at the level of their health, their level of well-being, it's going to trigger disease and so on, but they're not even able to function at their jobs. And it's you know, usually tagged under the challenge of employee engagement and, and so on, but it's really this drop, this lack of psychological safety. Interesting. Interesting. Well, Michael, this has been great. We're going to take a short break and then we'll be right back. This program is sponsored by Headway Executive Coaching, your source for leadership development and team leading effectiveness. For more information, visit headwayexec.com. All right, everyone, we're back. And again, uh, today we're talking with Michael Sahoda. He is the author of a book, Leading Beyond Change. In the first half, we were talking a lot about these uh, leadership mindsets that cause, um, what's the right word, it cause unhealthy cultures in, inside a business to, uh, to sort of drain productivity and engagement with employees. Um, Michael, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm intrigued by this because I too have done a lot of work in this space on the psychological safety. I um, have been doing some things for a number of years, but felt really, uh, uh, I call it validated with the uh, Project Aristotle study that Google did. I'm sure you're familiar with that. And, you know, they're finding 
was the fundamental question, why do we have some teams that don't perform as well as others? Because we know we hire the best of the best. You know, hiring practices are famous. They've been memorialized in a movie, right? So, um, and they're finding after an exhaustive two-year study that pretty much went all over hither and yon trying to figure it out came up with identifying psychological safety as the number one contributor to high-performing teams. And I, for one, kind of read through all that. And the other word for psychological safety is trust. You know, I, I, I can trust the boss. I can trust my coworkers. I can trust the system. I can trust what we're about doing here. And whenever that trust element erodes back to your point um, we're in the fight or flight mode and that's not productive and that actually you know leads to those lower levels of performance um, as you've worked and thought in this area what uh, what what do you find in that topic of of trust for between boss and employee yeah, that's a great question. So um, our general recommendation is to avoid the word trust at all costs. Okay. And okay. the reason for that is that, uh, this is, it's not in the book, this is a more advanced topic, because trust is an emergent phenomenon of a system. Okay. And it's much better to focus on what we can actually have, a, we're closer to be able to access direct, which is, um, which is the level of psychological safety. Uh, and we actually have a whole model called the vast cycle, which goes through how, how, to, how, to, how to fuel and create elements we describe as trust, but it's actually the emergent property of the system. Because it, it actually doesn't make sense to say, I trust someone in our view. Uh, I mean, it, it might be very radical and you don't, I'm not expecting you to agree, but in our view, it doesn't make sense to trust someone. Well, what does it mean? Like, we're going to trust someone for everything? No, no, no. You, trust is bounded, is really an assessment process in this area of decision-making around this topic do I believe this person has the competence, the level of alignment, and you know the context to understand how to make a good decision, how to use their power responsibly? So it's actually an assessment, right? And it's not a question of not trusting someone. Well, maybe they don't have the context, or maybe they're not aligned with what I think is important, or maybe they don't have the competence to execute well. So when we start to break it down to the core components of why I need to trust someone or not trust someone, we can actually look at those variables and see what's the health of those variables and work on those things, right? So trust in, in our, our mind is like a distracting concept because it puts people on the defensive, which drops their level of psychological safety and their brain starts to shut down because trust is like, well, either trust or no trust. Like, so it's a very messy uh, it, it's important. Like we operate the speed of trust. It's true, but we can't operate directly on it. So what we do is we, we work on all the other things that we can do that will lead to trust. But talking about trust itself is actually, in my experience, has never actually led to improving trust. It actually only drops the level of trust. That's, a, that's an interesting take on it. And <clears throat> I actually like that logic and that actually speaks to um, exactly what my own colleague and I have done in trying to explain to leaders how they can build trust in their organization. But it's exactly what you're saying, the way we frame it, and not to digress here, but the way we frame it is we say that to get trust as an outcome, there is a process of questions that people show up with. 
And it's not too dissimilar to, uh, you know, you think back to the days when you were dating and trying to find a life partner, you know, you, how did that go? Well, you got together, you started discussions, you were asking questions. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? What's your favorite color? What's your favorite movie? And it, it evolves in the depth and significance of the questions, but it's questions. And it's that questioning that leads us internally to say, okay, I get it. I'm now feeling safe in this situation. And yeah. uh, leaders, leaders can drive a process to address, we break it out into six groups of questions that have to do with vision, purpose, plan, practice, performance, and payoff. You know, it's, it, in, in my experience in business, all the questions I've ever been asked as a leader fall into one of those six buckets. Right. If, I, if I change my mindset as a leader to focus on realizing that that question I just got asked is part of a very well-connected patchwork for my employee, if I can start answering those questions effectively and building that clarity and that understanding, then I can, and I like your word evolve, I can help them evolve on that curve to get to that higher level of acceptance and ultimately trust in the, in the situation. Yeah. So that's a beautiful example of how you're using that tool to create alignment around key dimensions of organizational functioning right. and to improve people's understanding of the context of what they're making their local decisions in. So when they have that, and then the only missing piece is really, do they have the competence, right? And then if they have the competence to execute well, then you're in an environment where you don't need to give them a lot of guidance because they know what the goal, they know what the, the, what's going on. Exactly. It's no longer a mystery. Yeah. Right. Right. Beautiful. Very yeah. nice work. It's a, it, it is interesting. And I'm, uh, I happen to be, maybe this is way old school because it's not mentioned often, but I'm a big fan of Maslow's hierarchy. And um, uh, what I challenge my leadership coaching clients with is the idea that your people show up every day on, on, a, on a vertical climb on that ladder of, of Maslow. And they might have had a very unfortunate and ugly disagreement with the spouse walking out the door. So their mindset is on a much lower rung on that ladder because they're not ready to contribute their high actualization type work of their intellectual capacity um, because they're distracted. They've, they've, they've been drawn back down that ladder. And, and so as a leader, you, you, I, I argue you have to kind of keep your radar on. And when you, if you were in the workplace and you're walking the floor and you spin around to a guy's desk and you sense there's something going on, you can't just dogmatically, you know, lay the next task on them. You have to kind of pick up on the vibe and, and, and help kind of coach them through the moment. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're speaking to actually really kind of what we see as the the quintessential responsibility of leaders is to look after your people. Mm -hmm. Like that's it. And and Maslow hierarchy is great because it ties right directly into psychological safety. Like, are people right. feeling psychologically safe? Is it okay for them to say, "Look, 
you know, I just had something going on at home. I need a few minutes here, right? Is that okay in your environment or does it not? Another one, just coming back to the virtual world that we're in now is, well, does everyone feel comfortable having their cameras on? If they don't want to turn their cameras on, it means they don't have psychological safety. Like it's, right. there's a really, really direct connection. It's like, no, 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 we, we want to keep our cameras off. It's like, what? but here's the deal. When you, somebody, when everyone on your team has their cameras on, it actually elevates everyone's psychological safety because if someone doesn't have a camera on, you don't know what's really going on with them. You don't know whether they're right. paying attention. Like, so, so turning cameras off just could be very directly in our virtual world, in our, you know, distributed COVID friendly world and so on. Like it's actually a huge signal for what's happening in your system. And, and again, you say, well, oh, I'll make my people turn their cameras on. Well, no, 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 hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. hold on. How about having a conversation about why people aren't comfortable turning their cameras on? Right. How about listening to your people and looking after their needs and understanding what's going on? And, and, and then this ties back into the whole to returning to workplace. Yeah. It's like, well, I can't, I can't boss my people around when they're on camera. It's like, yeah. But that's because you have to learn how to not boss your people around because that strategy leads to low performance. That's why they don't want to come back to the office. Here's the paradox. If people want to come back to the office, it means because there's a good environment. Hey, if people right. don't want to come back to the office, it means there's a bad environment. And making right. them come back isn't going to solve that there's a bad environment. You're the problem because yeah. you're not creating a good environment for people. Why do you fix the problem? creating a great environment for people. So they want to come back. How about that instead? Right. Right. I like that. I like that. Well, before our time runs out, let me ask you one more. You, you mentioned another keyword that I'm, I'm a big fan of, and that is clarity. Leaders creating clarity, clarity of purpose, clarity of mission, clarity of expectation. Um, Talk to us a little bit more about your your use on the, on the notion of clarity. Yeah, that's great. So we turn everything upside down. So telling people trying to create clarity is the wrong thing to do. Okay. Uh, so we think the different better thing to do is listening for clarity. And to, and to actually, so so t- trying to create clarity, trying to tell people what the clarity is, is an act of command and control. It's saying I know what's going on. I'm going to tell you. That's command and control. More evolved leadership is about listening, co-creation, fostering, nurturing. That's actually what allows people to come to life and be motivated and engaged. So it's more about listening for clarity, listening for coherence. That's the work we need to do as leaders saying, oh, I'm noticing the system is not functioning with a high level of clarity. Ah, what? let me listen more. What's preventing people from understanding the clarity? Oh, Oh, because I'll tell you, I'll tell you, most most leaders are irresponsible in our view. They have something called a strategic plan and they don't get any feedback on it. Like at a minimum, ask everyone, give them an anonymous survey from one to 10, how good is our strategic plan for 2022? Rate it from one to 10 for how good a job it will help us in being successful. And most organizations, if they're lucky, will get a score of about a seven out of 10. Because leaders are addicted to this command and control habit of telling and not actually listening. Yeah. Right. The very different, I mean, it points to a very different approach. Nothing wrong with strategic plan is, but how is it used? Is it used to oppress people or used to build clarity and coherence for the mission? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like your take on it. I, I think, again, just like we said about trust and psychological safety, I think clarity is an outcome. And, you know, the boss might set the standard and lay out the 
statement of the vision or the purpose, but you're right. They have to be active listeners for whether or not the people get it, whether or not the people are embracing it, whether or not the people can feed it back and, and, and have it be consistent with what the leader is hoping to achieve. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really beautiful summary. The, the one thing I do to kind of extend that a little bit is to talk about clarity as a spectrum. Yep. understand that yep. it's an it's just one of the dimensions that a leader wants to pay attention to and it's about listening to understand where are we on the spectrum of clarity and what can i do to move us further forward so so that people will make good decisions here yeah very good very good point i like that too well our time is up uh michael tell the people how they can get in touch with you <laughs> Uh, the best way to find us is at our website, shift314.com. Shift, people get, it's about making change. 314 is actually uh, pointing to the, the number pi, 3.14159, which is about the timeless principles of mathematics. Because what we're sharing here is what you call it common sense. We call it really just the timeless or universal principles of people and organizations. I like it. Very good. Well, Michael, it's been a pleasure and a privilege and thank you for sitting in and i uh, wish you the best with your work thank you so much my pleasure to be right. here thanks everyone for participating and look for us on the web at uh, dougthorpe.com we'll have more information to follow take care this has been leadership powered by common sense hosted by doug thorpe for more information visit us on the web at dougthorpe.com